Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. And Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest, and going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? And they answered, He deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? Down to chapter 27, verse 1. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. And then down to verse 11. Now, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted, and they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to him, Whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus, who was called Christ. For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. He said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it to yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Okay, so that's that's the scene. That's that's the narrative. Um, And before we get into kind of examining these four characters, I want us to take just a couple minutes and look at the the trial, the actual trial, or the trial, if you will. It's in quotation marks because Matthew is written in such a way to uh, tell its readers that this whole thing was full of injustices and is actually a complete sham. Okay, Why was it a sham? A couple of reasons. The timing was unjust. His trial took place in the middle of the night at the high priest's house rather than during the daytime at the actual courts. There was a lack of due process. 
the Jewish Sanhedrin, which is the chief priests and the rulers, they function kind of like Israel's supreme court. So they were supposed to be the impartial judges who heard testimony, listened to the accusations, weighed the evidence fairly before pronouncing a judgment. Yet here they are, the ones making the accusations and pronouncing the judgment on them. Not okay. Also, the witnesses never really agreed, so their testimony should have been thrown out, and Jesus was never given a chance to provide counter-witnesses of his own. Finally, Pilate's consent was also unjust. I mean, he knew Jesus was innocent, but he was unwilling to act on it. He probably thought he was doing Jesus a solid when he suggested releasing Barabbas, and he's probably thinking in his mind, surely they're going to let Jesus go free, not Barabbas, but not really the case. They chose Barabbas. And so according to Matthew 27, 24, in order to prevent a riot, which would certainly tarnish his reputation as the governor, Pilate consented to the execution of Jesus. This trial was a great injustice. And we cry out when we, when we see or hear injustice, when somebody innocent gets condemned or somebody guilty goes free. We have that deep inside of our core. This is not right. Well, this was the ultimate injustice. Because Jesus was actually the only truly sinless and perfect man to ever walk on the earth, and he was sentenced to death like a criminal. And yet, we benefit from it. We benefit from it. Because the reality is, Jesus wasn't accused for his own sin. If you think deep, Jesus was actually there instead of me, instead of you. He was accused for our sin. It was your trial and my trial that he was enduring there. And not only was Jesus accused instead of us, but in his trial, he also identified with us. Think about this. How many of us have ever faced any kind of injustice before? Whether we've been betrayed, we've been abused, we've been mistreated. Jesus fully entered into that. He knows what that's like to go through that. He can sympathize with us. He can relate to us. He knows what it's like to be treated unjustly. So, How do we respond to all of this? What do we do with this trial? Well, like I said, we're going to look at four characters, and we're going to see where we see ourselves in these characters. The first characters that we wanted to look at is the Sanhedrin, so the the chief priests and the rulers, and I'm calling them the threatened. So Matthew 27, 18, so Pilate is on the judgment seat here. says he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Pilate knew that the Sanhedrin hated Jesus because they were envious of him. They're envious of his popularity, of his authority, because he occupied a position that they once had. They were the people of control and, and influence, and they desperately wanted it back. So Jesus interfered with them in their ways, and so he threatened them, and so they got rid of him. And it's easy for us to look at the Sanhedrin and say, wow, that's terrible. We shake our heads at them. We point our fingers at them. Oh, my goodness, what have they done? I mean, I never would have done that. Well, maybe it's because you just simply have never been pushed to a point where you actually had to choose between serving Jesus as Lord or yourself as Lord. See, Jesus interfered with their thinking, their ways. Maybe you've never actually been to this point and say, okay, I actually have to choose. Am I going to submit to Jesus or carry on my own way? And I can't force you to make that choice today. But what if I could? Like, what if we locked the doors? And I said, no one is allowed to leave here today until they make a full and final decision. I am going to submit to Jesus or I'm not. And we said, control of your own life 
and submitting to Jesus, they can't coexist anymore. You've got to choose which one's going to give way. What would happen? What would you choose? How would you respond then? And the Sanhedrin, they were pushed to this choice. They thought they were the good guys, remember? They thought they kind of had things all together. They were the leaders, the teachers. And yeah, you know, other people needed mercy and forgiveness and grace, but but not them so much. They, They were the good guys. But Jesus kept insisting they were not the good guys. He kept saying that they needed to be forgiven and saved just like every other criminal and sinner in all of Israel. So Jesus' teaching and his presence meant meant they couldn't keep their position of control and pride and influence, and so they killed him. And Maybe you're here this morning, you can kind of identify with the Sanhedrin a little bit. Maybe you're like, hey, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. I'm one of the good guys. I'm even kind of religious, and I kind of keep some of the rules, but yet you don't really want Jesus to have full control of your life. You don't want to admit and own your desperate need for the grace of God. And you're threatened by Jesus' claims and teachings, and so you resist him or even reject him. See, there are ultimately only two categories of people Two real responses to Jesus. Those that surrender to him or those who resist and rebel against him. Jesus himself said that in Luke 11, whoever is not with me is against me. One quote puts it this way, in every heart there is a throne and a cross. If self is on the throne, Jesus must be on the cross. If Jesus is on the throne, self must be on the cross. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve Jesus as Lord and also claim control of your own life as well. So who are you going to serve? Is it going to be self? Is it going to be Jesus? The Sanhedrin chose poorly. They rejected and opposed and killed Jesus. Now the next character wasn't threatened by Jesus so much as maybe they were just a little bit uh, too busy to really consider him. We're talking about the Roman governor himself, Pilate, and we're going to call him the distracted. So Matthew 27, 22, it's an amazing verse. He says, what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? Yeah, what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? Great question for every single one of us. Again, Pilate knew Jesus was innocent, but he was unwilling to act on it because there's other things that are more important to him in the moment. And these things were kind of important. And if we think about them, we can kind of identify and sympathize with him. I mean, he wants to keep his job. That's important. He wants to prevent a riot. Verse 24, a riot was beginning to break out. So he's like, okay, enough of this. He wants to prove to Rome that he can manage things in Jerusalem, that he's a good governor. Like, so career, reputation, success, these are important things. They're not bad things necessarily. But if we're honest and we press pause and we step back for a second and we say, wait a minute, Is there anything that compares in importance to the decisions you make about Jesus? What will you do with Jesus who is called Christ? What will you do with Jesus? How will you respond to his claims, to his life, what he has done? It is the most important thing to think about ever, all time. Seriously, the most important We get so caught up with the things that we think are important, and they may be good things, and they have some importance, but I can guarantee you that a hundred years from now, 
A hundred years from now, the only thing that's going to seem significant or important is where you stand in relation to Jesus Christ. So you've got to weigh that out. Those things that we think are important won't really matter a hundred years from now. Pilate represents the person who knows some truth about Jesus, but again, he's just too distracted, too busy with other things to really take him seriously, to really investigate him, to really consider him. The cares and the concerns of the world dominate and distract their thinking. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're kind of, person, ah, you know, I'll think about that when I'm older. Once my career takes off, or maybe when I have kids, I'll think about Jesus right now. And I'm having too much fun. I'm setting goals. I'm reaching goals. I'm, I'm, I'm pursuing success, or I mean, I'm hooked on this Netflix show, or I'm busy playing or watching sports, I'm desiring popularity, whatever it is, I just don't have the time to give much attention to Jesus. But don't you see how foolish that approach is? Here's the reality. You and I are not guaranteed that we'll be alive tomorrow. Our life could end today. I hope it doesn't, but it could This is the truth. Then, if our life ends, what becomes of these important things that we're pursuing, that we're distracted with? Why would you gamble with your eternity like this? But sadly, I think a lot of people are gambling. Yeah, yeah, later, later, later. Luke 9.25 says, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? Weigh it out. What's most important? See, Pilate didn't reject Jesus outright, but he just kind of put him off to the side. And I fear that there are many people doing that. Maybe some people even here this morning, you're saying, oh, well, whatever, Jesus, cool. You're not taking the time to consider him. You're distracted. Please, don't be like Pilate. It doesn't end well for Pilate. Don't be distracted. Don't be too distracted to think about Jesus. Consider him. The third character we're looking at this morning is going to be the criminal Barabbas. Barabbas, we're calling him the spared. So verse 15 of chapter 27. At the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner that they wanted. And they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So Barabbas might give us the clearest picture of what this whole thing is about. I mean, he's a bad man. He's the villain. He's a notorious criminal. He's a, he's a thief, he's a murderer, he's hated by the Jews and the Romans. He's the worst. And on that day, by the choice of a persuaded crowd, Barabbas goes free while Jesus is sentenced to death. So just think for a moment what it would have been like to be Barabbas. Like you wake up that morning, you're thinking, yeah, this is probably it, I'm on death row, probably going to be dead by the end of the day, but instead, at supper time, you're hanging out with your friends and your family. Like, whoa. And, and for some reason, this, this strange man who, who appears to be innocent, appears like he didn't do anything wrong, is hanging on the cross instead of him. He's like, wait a minute. Like Barabbas is really the first true person who could say, Jesus died not just for me, but instead of me. It's the first one. And what's interesting about Barabbas is scholars point out his name is kind of odd because it's very generic. So Bar means son of, Abbas means father. So his name is son of a father or son of a man. I don't know if there's any more basic name than that. (laughs) This is a boy from a boy. (laughs) 
And while Barabbas is a real historical figure, I think he's meant to represent every man. Son of a man. Because like Barabbas, we are all sinful rebels. We're we're the criminals. We have all disobeyed God. We've gone against the creator of the universe. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All is everyone. But Jesus, the only truly perfect man, dies in our place, willingly took the accusation, the sentencing, and the cross intended for us so that we could go free. So that we could be spared. So we could be forgiven. So that we could have eternal life and join God's family. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. So the punishment, the result of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We deserve death for our punishment, but God in his grace says you can have eternal life through my son who goes forward instead of you. You know what's really interesting to me about Barabbas' story? We never really find out what happens to him. Just kind of exit stage right and that's it. We don't know what he did. We don't know how he responded. We don't know if, if he went up to Jesus and said, thank you so much, I owe you everything, or if he was just flipping and being like, well, whatever, I'm, I'm off, Woo-hoo. more crime, I don't know. We don't know what happened to him. And maybe it's because the story is told to us by Matthew kind of as a question. Back to kind of verse 22. What will I do with Jesus who's called Christ? What will we do? How will we respond to Jesus who goes forward in our place? Will we fall on our knees in worship and in thanksgiving and gratefulness and say, I owe you everything. Thank you for dying for me. Or will we just casually pass him by? Oh, yeah, Jesus died for me. Okay, whatever. Don't ignore him. Don't ignore him. He purchased your forgiveness and your salvation with his blood. Serve him, follow him, trust him. Now, there's one final person that we haven't talked about yet, and uh, it's Judas. The story of his regret and his suicide is kind of tucked right in the middle of the narrative. If you go back to Matthew chapter 27, verse 3 to 5, we're calling Judas the despairing. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and went and hanged himself. Why is this episode just sandwiched into the narrative of Jesus' trial It seems kind of to disrupt the flow of the events all of a sudden. Oh, and Judas. One person has suggested that it's there to show what every person who rejects Jesus is ultimately doing to themselves. If you reject the author of life, you are choosing self-destruction. But I think it's also there to show us how tragic and actually unnecessary Judas' suicide was. Unnecessary. When Judas realized his error, it says he changed his mind. He went back, throwing down the silver. I can't believe it. No, I've done this. It's wrong. It's innocent blood that I've betrayed. And they wouldn't take it back. Perhaps he thought, that's it. I can't be forgiven anymore. I've crossed a line, point of no return. There's no hope for me. And so he went away in despair and hanged himself. 
But Judas was wrong to think this way. And here's why. Peter. Peter also betrayed Jesus. Not in the exact same way, but he denied even knowing Jesus three times in one night. And in fact, all the disciples forsook Jesus when the crowd showed up. They ran away. They left him there when he was arrested. And each of them would be forgiven. And in fact, Peter would be reinstated and become the leader of the church. See, Jesus couldn't quite grasp this, that, that Jesus came to actually reclaim ruined sinners, to seek and to save the lost. That's why we call him the despairing. He didn't believe that he could be forgiven. He thought he had crossed the line. And some of you might be in this place. Right now, you're thinking, well, I know, man, I've done too much damage. You don't know what I've done. I've screwed up too many times. I've made so many mistakes. I've sinned way too many times. I'm beyond God's grace. God could never forgive me. He could never use me, fix me. And you're sitting here, and you're in despair. Maybe you don't even know why you're here. You feel like you have nowhere to go. And while I hope this isn't the case, there may be some people here who, like Judas, could be actually on the cusp of taking their own life. And this is serious, and this is important. So please, hear me today. You're not too far gone. There is hope, and there is life, and there is mercy, and there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. His grace and his mercy is greater than you can imagine. His power to restore and to fix lives stained by sin is real and it's available today right here, right now. We have seen this as a church. We exist to bring glory to God through lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus, who he is, what he's done, his death in our place, his resurrection. He changes lives. That's what he does. You're not too far gone. See, part of believing the gospel is realizing that you are more sinful than you think, but you're also more loved than you ever dreamed. There's still hope for you because of the power of Jesus Christ to redeem. Sadly, Judas didn't see this. He took his own life, and in so doing, he cut himself off from the only hope and source of life available to him. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John 11, Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Judas despaired and felt hopeless. But here's what I thought. Imagine if he had waited just a few more days. Imagine if he had just hung on a few more days and he hadn't rushed out in despair. We could have, hold on. Imagine if Peter had found him after that first Easter Sunday. They bump into each other and Judas says, Peter, Peter, no, don't even, don't even talk to me. Man, I blew it. I betrayed Jesus, me. Like I was with you guys for three years and I betrayed him. I'm done. There's no coming back from that. And Peter says, oh, buddy. Oh, there's hope. Guess what? I betrayed Jesus too. I denied him three times. Yeah, and he died. But Judas, he's alive. He came out of the tomb. He's alive. He's risen. He found me and he forgave me. He can find you and forgive you too. Imagine. And some of you, you're, you're here, you're despairing, and you're at wit's end, and you feel hopeless. 
but you're not too far gone. It's not over. The reason I know it's not over is because you're here right now. You're here right now. Come to Jesus. Find hope. Find forgiveness. Find life, meaning, purpose, and peace. Maybe, maybe you need to talk to somebody today before you leave. We're, we're going to have people available for that. Um, staff, elders, friend, somebody that you know, and you're just like, I, I, I need to talk to you. I need someone to pray with me. That's what you've got to do. Then do it. Don't, don't leave here without doing that. Jesus can, can, can put the pieces of your life back together. In fact, he makes you new and better than before. He can do that for you today. There's a line from an old hymn that says, Dark is the stain that I cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide, whiter than snow you can be today. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that can pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all my sin. So we've looked at these four characters today. And again, maybe you've identified with one or, or more than one of them. And, and you've come to this point and you're like, ah, what do I do now? Maybe, maybe you're like, I, I, I was too distracted and I really want to, I, I was following Jesus before and, and, and then I got distracted. I want to follow Jesus again. Well, we're going to, again, have a, a time to respond. Maybe you're here and you're like, I feel like I need to surrender to Jesus for the first time. We're going to give you a chance to do that today. Or maybe you just still have some more questions and you just want to talk to somebody or you just want someone to pray for you about something that's heavy in your heart right now and maybe you're not even one of these four but you're just like, I need prayer today. I need Jesus today. Would someone come and pray for me? We're going to have people come and they're going to pray. So I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to sing another uh, final closing song about who Jesus is and what he's done. During that song, some people are going to come and stand underneath kind of the, the TV screens and then when the song is done, we're going to dismiss everybody. But if that is the time that if you want prayer, you just come up to, to the front, talk to somebody, we're happy to do that. We'll be available for you. Come to Jesus today. Don't, don't leave. Don't leave. Jesus is tugging at your heart. Don't leave. He was accused and rejected by men so that you could be welcome and accepted by God. Let's pray together. Father God, we want to say thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus to be accused and tried and sentenced instead of us. And Father, I want to pray for people here maybe who, who could identify with the Sanhedrin. Maybe they, they, they feel threatened that I pray that they would come to a place of complete surrender and trust in you, that they wouldn't rely on their own goodness. They wouldn't cling to their own control of their life. I pray that nobody here would resist you, but everybody would submit to you and your rightful rule. And God, I want to pray for those who maybe identify with the distracted. Lord, show us what's most important. Show us how, how Jesus is greater than anything or anyone. 
draw us away from distraction towards an actual relationship with you. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move this morning in our hearts, in the hearts of anybody who's here that happens to put you on the side. Would you work so that they would consider you, trust you, serve you, follow you, so that you wouldn't be on the side anymore. And God, I pray that none of us would ever look casually upon your sacrifice. Jesus, you were put forward in our place to suffer for us. You paid our debt. So let us then also offer our lives to you in gratitude. And Lord, I want to pray for those who maybe say, yeah, I'm, I'm in despair. I, I, I feel helpless. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. Lord, you died a horrible death, but you came out of the grave alive. You offer forgiveness and eternal life in your name that there is hope. We can say we have hope because of you. So Lord, I pray, please take anyone here that's in despair and speak the truth of your victory and your resurrection into their hearts. The fact that we are loved beyond our wildest dreams. Let that truth replace despair with joy. You fix broken lives. You make us new. Do that today. Remind us of who you are and what you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.